0: Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, solar and battery storage systems have components from a lot of different manufacturers. It's not just like one box that gets delivered to your house and you plug it in. There's probably 50 different solar panel manufacturers that are active in the U.S., half a dozen companies that make inverters and electronics, and a dozen racking companies. And right now, I count three major battery companies. Plus, there's 3,000 different utilities in 18,000 different cities around the country. Essentially, all these jurisdictions and all these different components make it very tricky to put a system together. Components need to be selected and connected properly. That takes engineering, which is a key part of every residential and commercial solar system. So every system that's installed properly goes through an engineering and permitting process. Doing this engineering work properly, quickly, and affordably is one of the keys to a successful solar installation business. So in this week's show, we're talking about solar and battery engineering. And my special guest is Josh Weiner, president, of Sepi Solar. Sepi Solar provides engineering services to solar and battery storage contractors. Josh and I go back to two thousand and six when he started working with me at Aquina Solar as manager of design and engineering. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me, Barry. All right, it's great that you're here. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the services that Sepi Solar provides.
1: Sure. Well, we're, we're a turnkey solar storage and microgrid design and engineering firm. So, I mean, we we do everything from layouts and structural analysis, electrical analysis, interconnection details, pretty much everything you need to get a project from concept to installation and commissioning and placed in service. So we don't install, we don't buy or sell systems, we don't buy or sell hardware. We're just designers and engineers with very specific specialized subject matter expertise. And then uh, that's the project engineering engineering part, we also do a lot of heavy technical consulting. And so I love, I love how these two services play off of each other, because I think to be the best project engineer possible, you need to know what's best in class, state of the art, what's coming up in terms of technology regulations and programs. And, and likewise, I think project engineers inform consultants to be better consultants when they know it actually works and doesn't work on the ground floor. So the, the, it's really the consulting and the project engineering that we do. So who are your typical customers? Give me, give me a profile of those customers. Yeah, they, they come from all different walks of life. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I keep learning about who are customers on a regular basis. But what I've... So EPCs, developers, owner-operators, asset managers. But one, one thing I do notice that everybody has in common is they're looking for one or multiple of three things. Requirements. They want to understand what are the rules and regulations that... Govern these types of systems, of which there are many, and they evolve and change over time. Um, risk They're looking for risk management or cost control. You know, they, they just need to know what their costs are going to be and to know that that's going to be protected through the long haul. Whether they're an EPC looking at the next six months or whether they're an owner-developer looking at the total cost of ownership. And then, uh, finally, design optimization. Just value-added engineering. Getting good designs with good efficiency with good product.
0: Okay, so how is the? You started doing solar engineering, uh, you know, over a dozen years ago. How has the solar engineering and the battery storage engineering changed over the past dozen
1: years? A better question is, how does it not change? You know, like I mean, it, it, yeah, it's it's ever moving target, like the rest of the industry. Um, you know, like for example, you know, the the old saying used to be, you know, like anybody with a truck can install solar, and maybe mm-hmm. that's a new saying. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm noticing anybody with a CAD license can design solar. Um, the differences, though, of doing it—what uh, that means—is that anybody can play. What it also means is that you have a huge spread in things like quality, customer service, um, and and also the design engineering aspect. You know, sometimes drafting, design, engineering all gets kind of mixed together. But you know, putting lines on paper is one thing; um, actually getting good designs out into the world is another. For example. Um, we do a lot of rescue missions at Sepi Solar. And so we have uh, customers who come to us who say, I got these plans from somebody, uh, Joe Schmo in a basement or, or Joe Blow around the street, and we're having problems. And so, um, you know, the wire sizing might have been done right. The conduit sizing might have been done right. Overcurrent protection, voltage drop all looks good. But this inverter is twice as big as it really needed to be. And it's causing problems with interconnection and maybe a dozen other things. And if you just kind of solve the root cause problem, use an appropriately sized component. You know, we saved that customer $1,500 at the snap of a finger that was maybe easy for us, but very difficult, obviously, for him and yeah. his previous designer.
0: Yeah, the, the big change that, that I've noticed, and we've taken advantage of it at, at Cinema Energy Systems, is it, it used to be that the solar contractor had to do the engineering him or herself. It, right. it was in-house. And heck, you remember back at Akeen and Westinghouse, we had a room full of like 60 engineers and project managers. It was extremely inefficient and expensive. But I found that it was expedient to outsource the engineering to qualified firms. And there's also firms to which you can outsource that are not as qualified or might not do as good a job. You get the plans back. You say, you know, gee, the, this wire is not, doesn't look like it's connected in the right place or, yeah. or the overcurrent protection isn't right or where's the ground wire. So that's changed. But the outsourcing has been a terrific boon in terms of reducing our total costs yep. because we don't need to maintain that stable of engineers to handle our variable workload.
1: Yeah, I've I've found co- a lot of contractors, EPCs, developers. They they have a core competency. They have something they do really well. They originate deals or they they have access to money in project finance or or they're great installers and they've got the great trucks and what and equipment and so on. So um, what what I found the outsourcing model that you just described I mean is just uh, it, it just fits really naturally with all kinds of organizations that have a core competency and just need those close tight partners close to them to build out additional capabilities that they need to be successful. And so we want to build out those design engineering capabilities because they touch so many processes of the project development overall process. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I mean yeah. the the EPC or the contractor has to have a basic idea of what what's involved, but you really leave it up to the qualified engineer to to work out all the details.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and when you're outsourced too, I mean you're not tied to any one particular developers or EPC's pipeline, you know, you see, you know, a lot of EPCs and developers rightfully so standardize their operations to save on costs and to get things done more quickly. Um, but when you're outsourced, you might be working. You'll be working with those types of customers. You'll be working with other types of customers that maybe are not so standardized or are standardized but in a different way. And so you can leverage all the experience that we're getting from all parts of the industry and all types of customers just for you that are tailored. To what you need today.
0: Yeah, you're gathering information from a bigger group. So, one of the big improvements that we've seen is is better software. Is there some software
1: that you're using or that your partners are using that are making the, your lives easier and reducing costs? All software is making our lives easier. Um, yeah, so we're, we're always developing and innovating our own software internally just to make things move more fluid within the company. But then Uh, Also, uh, I mean, there's tools out there like, for example, Aurora or Helioscope. And what's really interesting about these tools is uh, our customers come to us either to hire us to actually use those tools on their behalf Mm -hmm. or that they've used those tools and it becomes our input into the larger, more heavy-lifting, full, complete design engineering work. So, I mean, it, it's it's all these tools have really served one purpose, is to communicate a system more effectively to the audience that needs it. Sometimes it's very technical. Sometimes it's very economic. Sometimes it's very code and regulatory heavy. It's great that these tools are out here. It's all helping.
0: So that helps. Now, what, what's making things more complicated? I mean, how are our costs in the industry
1: going up? Uh, so, I mean, of course, new technologies, new regulations that always uh, throws things up in a bunch and having to sort all that out and work with today's policies since policy always follows uh, or regulation, always follows technology. It's always important to make sure that we're using whatever tools we have and standards we have today to get projects done today. Um, But then in parallel to that, um, finding all the gaps that need to be plugged so that we can advocate. A better policy tomorrow, and that's that's another thing that we do. I mean, for example, um, I'm actually a co-founder of Green Charge Networks, and we got Green Charge, we got lithium batteries connected to the grid for demand charge reduction in 2010. I mean, name one code out of the NEC that addresses lithium batteries that was available in 2010. It's barely even available now in 2017, although with the latest code cycle, that is definitely helping. So, to get a business like that up and running, to get projects up and running out into the field, you bet we had to take codes out of solar, codes out of 705, and all these other articles to paint a picture that this was a completely code compliant system. You know that that wasn't necessarily cheap to do in the beginning, but you use that experience to then inform what the policies ought to be, and advocate for those at committees and and, and meetings with the CPC and push them and get them and get them enforced. Yeah, no, it's it's really tricky to kind of get that stuff integrated.
0: Okay, Josh. So we kind of started talking about batteries. Now let's let's kind of dig into battery systems and energy storage systems, especially as they kind of connect together with solar. So what do you think of the current crop of rooftop residential
1: energy storage systems? Oh boy. Um, Well, so I would say not just the crop of residential storage systems, but all storage systems. I mean, they're they're largely lithium-based and that's great for energy density and great for footprint. So I can see why residential has a particular interest there. I'm not convinced though that lithium Technology is the end-all, be-all for energy storage. As uh, actually, not just with residential, but the industry as a whole. Um, so. Uh, th- so what do I think about the current crop? I mean, it's it's new, it's innovative, it's breaking boundaries and breaking barriers into new territories, which is what we all need. And it, it was available when we needed it. And it, it, is, it was the only available technology at the time that we needed it. So it serves it has served its purpose. It's continuing to serve its purpose, but there's definitely new stuff on the way that's going to completely revolutionize it.
0: So th- it's kind of interesting. You, you're, you've got a perspective on the, the battery technology. My, my experience so far over the last, I mean, going back 15, 17 years, but now more recently digging into these systems, is the batteries are okay. The battery management systems, they're kind of there, but then integrating it with the electronics, the inverter, the optimizer, the communications, the meter, kind of creating that whole system, that's where right now the industry is kind of letting people down there's very few systems that are integrated well enough so that you can install them without a lot of custom engineering custom programming where you have to kind of go back to the manufacturers i mean that's been my experience so it's been really a challenge both on the residential side and on the commercial side to find a, a system that we can install and that I'm not going to have to worry about going back there every two weeks or every month, and then finally, you know, throwing up my hands and say, you know, this vendor really delivers. So I, I don't know if you're if you're seeing any of those experiences also, but that's what yeah. we've seen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, lithium as a technology, I, I agree. It's it, one perspective is that there is no problem because it works. It's economic. It's helping people. So why, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like it's fine. It's working. Um, I just happen to believe and have seen there are better things on the way, so mm-hmm. it's, the story's only going to get better, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And so, then I so I was I was talking to our friend Alex
0: a, a couple of weeks ago, and he's a big fan, fan of flow batteries, and for commercial that makes like total sense,
1: and maybe even for residential mm-hmm. it makes yeah. sense. Let's 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 definitely mm-hmm. talk about that. But and but then I totally agree with you on the product configuration, the integration. That I remember, I mean, when we were working together at Akina, very once in a while there would be a battery system that would come through. I don't know if you knew about it or wanted to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, they were they were definitely challenges. Always challenges. Always high maintenance. Lead acid batteries, messy. Had to fill them with water, and it had to be distilled water. And of course, um, the customers never put distilled water, so always causing problems. High maintenance. I totally, I completely agree. I mean, the the state of battery technology, or actually battery product configuration and product wrapping is just come it's, such a long... It's that complete product. So, what
0: I really yeah. like about, you know, for example, we're installing the LG battery. I mean, so it comes in a really nice bulletproof, I mean, probably really bulletproof yeah. aluminum housing. The thing weighs 215 pounds. The battery management system is built in. The instructions are there. It's it's all compliant with the hazmat regulations, and it's easy to install. There's only a communication cable and, and yeah. three wires. That you have to wire. So it's like all very simple. The trick is getting the electronics, the meter, the inverter, everything else to kind of operate with that thing very smoothly and updating the software whatever so and it yeah. works
1: yeah. but most of the others that i've seen are, are really really a challenge yes yes and and some some of them are less are, you know you'll hear different messaging too like some of them are more flexible and more you know customizable to fit your application it's like okay sometimes flexibility is a good thing sometimes it sounds expensive and yeah. you're doing more integration well in I, I would
0: tell you from yeah. a from a solar contractor standpoint flexibility usually means that's going to be expensive right. all i want to do is install the same thing again and again so i can make it cheap and you know the, the cost is the biggest barrier how do you think costs are going to come down for these energy storage systems in both for residential and commercial
1: it depends maybe on what cost you're talking about because I mean, are we talking about first costs uh, capex opex total cost of ownership but um from a total from a capex perspective lithium is definitely a winner it is cheap it is available for the most part in small quantities right now <laughs> at the moment um, so it's 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 great for now on a total cost of ownership basis um, and and also in the context of integrating with solar I, I do believe that vanadium flow batteries are the next generation of storage technology that's going to take the industry by storm and the reason is because um, it is a true 20-year asset or more and when you think of solar assets they need a lot last 20 years or more, uh, and they can, and they've demonstrated that, to put a battery system that works in concert with that solar system it just It's not that it can't be done, it's not that it's not economic today to do so, but it is just so much more simpler and so much cheaper to put a technology with that solar system that has the same design life, if not even faster. Vanadium flow batteries actually degrade slower than a solar panel. It's crazy.
0: Just give us a, a real quick explanation of what a
1: flow battery is, how that works. It is architecturally different in the sense that you have tanks and cell stacks, and those are in two separate places. So, your tanks are filled with electrolyte, and that's your energy capacity. You make the tanks bigger, you get more energy. You make the tanks smaller, get less. And then you have cell stacks, which are basically like reversible fuel cells. And they can be bigger or smaller, and you'll get more power or less power. So, essentially, flow batteries decouple power from energy, and you can make an application-specific battery that fits your application. When you're buying those lithium batteries from all the big names, you're you're buying... batteries from the consumer electronic industry or from the electric vehicle battery industry, and were their secondary market. So the batteries that we bring from car manufacturers and put on our house... I mean, those are like five, six C batteries. Those are high power batteries that can get your Roadster from zero to 60 in two point whatever seconds. Never going to use that on mm-hmm. on your house. You, you will use the energy capacity of that battery on your house for sure. But the power is money down the toilet. So and that's it's still a, a cost effective today, by the way.
0: Right. So these flow batteries, there there's pumps and and. Fluids and controllers moving the the electrolyte back and forth.
1: Yep, just just like a lithium system that has thermal management that moves you know fluids and liquids and also mm-hmm. um, has you know mechanical HVACs and things. How, like how that. small can you make a flow battery? Uh, you can make them. Act- In fact, there are some. I mean, I'm not saying this is like fully done and and wham bam it's done but um there are flow batteries going into drones right now like people are designing very small flow batteries they're not they're not commercially ready yet and there is no residential f- there are uh there are actually residential flow batteries available in australia i believe mm-hmm. um but there's none in the u.s yet but we're we're working on that could you put a flow battery behind the solar panel yeah why not yeah oh. it, you could uh, in fact um our friends down the street are doing that, but those are ground mounts or trackers. So okay, can- okay.
0: So they've got right. But what about on a rooftop system? I mean, there's there's a couple of companies You're that right. have um, that are starting to put batteries behind solar panels. I'm just wondering how is it going to work in in a
1: high temperature environment. Actually, what's what's inter- th- so that's a really good point. Um, I could see them eventually someday getting behind the solar panel, uh, and how they do in a hot weather environment much better than lithium. In fact, flow batteries get more efficient when they get hotter because if you think about the way a flow battery works, it's using some pumps and motors to move fluid around. The hotter it gets, the less viscous that fluid gets. It's a little easier to push and pull. Um, so it actually batteries I, we found actually get a little yeah, more efficient. The ions are going to be more active inside the fluid. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The, kinet- the, the the reaction kinetics and the cell stacks move a little more quickly. I mean, the nice thing is it doesn't change that much. It's very stable across the entire state of charge range. Um, so that's that's a good thing. But it is nice to know that temperature doesn't bring these systems down either.
0: That's that's kind of cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Seppi Solar. How did you get Seppi Solar started?
1: When, when did it begin? Oh boy. Um, so it started. Wanting to help people, I mean that's that's as simple as I can make it. I mean it it was, you know, coming out of Akina, and by the way, I mean was the experience of my life. I will always look back on those years as my golden years. And I, I here's twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, what learning from Sepi Solar and being in empa- Akina taught me how to empower customers, and so starting Sepi Solar is really like. I want to do, I want to take this however I can. And I'm a design engineering expert and I want to help people. What I found is what I ended up getting pulled into though was every aspect of the project development process. I mean, from pre sales, from finance to, of course, permitting utility or connection inspection, but then commissioning and afterwards, you know, for the next 19 and a half or 20 years that that system is sitting there, um, there are things that we don't think about when we think about just installing and moving on. Um, there are things that, you know, you think about when you become the owner of those systems or when you work for an owner of those systems that you just had never thought about previously. So like, uh, starting Seppi Solar was really about helping people getting the experience in the right places throughout that whole project development process, not just upfront, but downstream and all throughout. And, and how can people get in touch with you at Seppi Solar? Uh, They can go to our website, and uh, we have this awesome online web portal at sepisolar.com where you can create a free account and submit quote requests and get pricing from us and get scope of work and get timelines, and and, uh, it's great. I mean, what's really streamlined our costs and made our system and our business most efficient is communication, I think. Any licensed marriage and family therapist will say the first thing to go in any long-term relationship is communication. So we spend we've invested heavily in just getting very clear communication up front and throughout the process. We have ways where our customers can interact with our engineers and project managers dynamically throughout the whole development cycle. So, so speaking of communication, how do you spell your website? S E P I
0: S O L A R. All right, and and what's your phone number?
1: Five one zero nine four zero nine seven five zero. All right. All right. Great. Terrific. That's all the time we have on this week's energy
0: show. Thanks to our guest, Josh Weiner with Seppi Solar. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.